This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysu. Before joining Larry with today's episode, let's get a few words from Hayden Outdoors, the brand that sells land through our conservation today. It's important to monitor and evaluate the fencing on your property, not just for control and protection of your livestock, but to check how accommodating it is to the mobility of wildlife in your area. A question you should be regularly asking yourself when you're checking your fences is, is my fence wildlife friendly? And does my fence affect the daily or seasonal movements of wildlife? Improperly designed or located fencing, whether it be a border fence or a cross fence, can dramatically reduce your property's carrying capacity. If your fencing isn't impermeable, it can fragment your habitat, prevent wildlife from accessing certain resources, and cause wildlife to increase their energy output, which increases their stress level just so they can gain access to those resources. Adult ungulates are prodigious jumpers. However, juvenile deer and elk may not be able to cross fences like adults can. Deer and elk fawns will typically go under fences as long as the spacing at the bottom is adequate. This is why woven wire mesh fencing is not a wildlife friendly fence. 
To make things worse, the most woven wire mesh fencing that's out there is typically topped with a single strand of barbed wire, earning it the rightful name of the death fence. That gap between the top of the meshing and the bottom of the barbed wire it will typically catch the back hoof of an ungulate who is crossing it, causing them to get entangled and resulting in death. Ideally, no fencing would be great. It would be wonderful to go back to the old days of the West, but it's pretty unrealistic. So the best option for wildlife is the standard four-strand barbed wire. It doesn't hinder wildlife and allows them to freely cross without concerns of entanglement or impalement. It eliminates the possibility of the habitat being fragmented or cause of increased energy output. These are things that you should be considering and things you should be looking for when you're checking your fences the next time you're out on your property. I'm Brandon Houston with H3 Whitetail Solutions. Now on with today's episode. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to DSC's Campfires with me, Larry Wysoon. And our campfire this morning is is a rather warm one, if you will. Here in Texas, it's already about 100 degrees, and we've had those kind of days for several days. But my guest this morning is Mr. John Fink, who is the product manager uh, for Trigicon, the world's greatest optics as far as I'm concerned. John, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you, Larry. Great to great to chat with you this morning. I'm hoping it's a little bit cooler where you are as compared to where it is here in Texas. Well, it is up here in Michigan this morning. It's 67. We had rain overnight and clouds, but we're going to be unusually hot for the next two days, where it's actually going to get up into the uh, mid to upper 80s today. And I think the forecast for tomorrow is like 97, which is. For, for this part of the, the world is very unusual that we see temperatures like that, particularly in June. I just got back from an absolutely fantastic trip up in Lewiston to the Jack O'Connor Museum and, and Learning Center. I was up there with Jim Zumbo and Ron Spomer and and uh, Tom Gresham and Miss Diana Rupp and, and Don Thomas. We were there for their, I guess it's their annual kind of meet with a bunch of outdoor writers. The weather was fabulous, and I hated to come home to Texas, to be quite <laughs> frank with you. I'm sure you, you were with some great company there. That, that, that's an all-star cast. I've, I've had time to spend spend time with, with a number of them, but um, yeah, that was a good group of folks you're with. I totally agree. We had an absolute blast. What I want to do this morning, if it's okay with you, is just kind of talk about a lot of different things. Give me a little bit about your background. I know some of it, and our paths have crossed in the past, but what brought you to Trigicon, and what was your path to getting there? Yeah, I, I mean, I came to Trigicon in August of 2018. Um, as product manager for Magnified Optics, which, you know, Magnified Optics are all your, think of all your traditional hunting scopes, but as well as, you know, have responsibility for the ACOG line and the, the VCOG line. So anything that has magnification in it falls un, under my area of responsibility. And it's that's where my passion is at. I'm a hunter at heart. That's what I enjoy doing. Um, so it's something that, that is really easy for me to pick up on and run with. You know, I've been fortunate prior to coming to Trinjicon with hunting with, with several different of the AccuPoint scopes um, in the past. But prior to Trinjicon, I'd spent 21 years at, at Remington Arms Company. Um, it, it was a 
dream come true for me. They were moving their corporate offices from Wilmington, Delaware to Madison, North Carolina. Um, shortly after I had finished my college at the University of Greensboro. Now, most of my college was actually done at Appalachian State, but up in Boone, North Carolina, but got married and moved down to the Greensboro area and finished up there. But about not long after I'd finished up, they were relocating, Remington was relocating their offices from Wilmington, Delaware, down to Madison, North Carolina, just north of Greensboro. And uh, I started pestering them regularly <laughs> until they finally hired me. And, um, yeah, you know, my, my degree is in marketing. And with my marketing degree, product management, product development is what I'd always wanted to do. And that they... At that time, Remington had two product managers, both of them long-time tenured employees, one on the ammunition side, one on the firearm side. Both were moving down from Wilmington, Delaware. So there wasn't an immediate spot on the product management side. So I, I took a job in a consumer service role. So, you know, these were in the days before Internet. So it was, you know, answering telephone calls and, you know, writing letters back to people you know, through traditional good old U.S. Postal Service snail mail. Yes, sir. And it was a, a great way for me to come into the company, get to know people, understand how the company worked, and really, you know, work with every facet of the company, from, you know, customer service to parts and repairs, but also working with operations, finance, literally every part of the company. After about 18 months, they actually created a position for me because I had made it known, you know, d during my early interviews that product management, product development is where I wanted to be. Yes, sir. An assistant product manager on the ammunition side of the business. Um, and, and then that, you know, evolved into, I was promoted into a, a product manager role responsible for all of the ammunition categories from rimfire ammunition to shot shell as well as, you know, centerfire ammunition. I spent about four and a half years on the ammunition side of the business and then moved over to the firearm side and really spent, you know, my last 15 years working, you know, on the firearm side in, in a product manager role. Started off with shotguns. There was a period of time where Remington was sourcing um, firearms out of Spain, Italy, Russia. So I, I was doing a fair amount of international travel during the, the mid 2005 to 2008 timeframe, then moved into product manager for uh, rifles, which rifles are my passion. Amen. So it was fantastic. <laughs> um, and then, you know, eventually became the director of product management with six product managers reporting to me. <laughs> And then, you know, as Remington ran into financial troubles, you know, that's what led me to, you know, leaving the firearm side of things and landing at Trigicon, which I couldn't be happier about and more thankful for. Well, what a great path to go through, though, with all that, because of the experiences that you gained, like you said, particularly early on with people, I'm sure you got all kinds of questions, all kinds of statements, and uh, probably learned a tremendous amount about the human population very quickly in that particular you, role. You certainly do. <laughs> and then, of course, with all the other things, with the ammunition and other being on the rifle side, oh my gosh, what a, you're right, that is kind of a dream job. I've been fortunate over the years, but if, if 
if I were not going to be have done what I did, I really kind of would have liked to have followed your path that you did, and including ending up with Trijicon. Now, most people out there that are listening to this, absolutely, they know Trijicon, and I'm sure so many of them use products from Trijicon because they have the opportunity to visit with them. But explain a little bit what Trijicon is when you get right down to it. How did, how did Trijicon get started? Yeah, Trijicon was founded by a gentleman um, by the name of, of Glenn Benden. Glenn Benden was a Ford engineer. He had an aerospace background as, as well. But what he did from an optical standpoint, you know, in his garage while he was still working at Ford, did this on his own, but was developed, you know, a prismatic scope in the ACOG. And, you know, th- th- there's been no other optic used more in combat than the ACOG. It was adopted, you know, eventually, uh, and unfortunately, Mr. Benden did not get to see this come to fruition, but, you know, adopted by the U.S. Marine Corps as their combat optic. So, you know, Trijicon enjoyed for several years, you know, building the 4 by 32 ACOG, to the Marine Corps specifications that they fielded, you know, in combat during the, the 2000s. Um, so that was, you know, it's a prismatic scope. So essentially the, the easy way to think about that is similar to a root prism binocular, but it's just, you know, obviously one scope instead of a, you know, a, a pair of, you know, optics that you're looking through that are mated together. Um, so that, that, that was the claim to fame. And from there, you know, Trijicon has just continued to grow, continued to, to be blessed with, you know, moving out into other categories. And we're the only optics supplier out there who, you know, we, we touch every type of sighting option you have. Everything from thermals to tritium-powered iron sights to the magnified category, as well as red dot or, or reflex type sights. I have to admit, I really like your red dot reflex sights on <laughs> the handguns that I shoot in the RMR and the SRO. Those are absolutely fantastic as far as I'm concerned. But let's talk a little bit more about, about the, the rifle side of thing. Here about, was it three years ago or so at, at DSC's convention, Trijicon released a number of scopes. Let's talk about some of those, if you don't mind. Tell people about some of that product line that was released then. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was... You know, that, that was a product line that I had the good fortune to be able to be part of, of the launch and get yes, sir. there and continue to support today. But that was a project that I inherited. But when I came in, it was in its, you know, beginning stages. And I had the, uh, you know, baton handed off to me, and I got to take it across the finish line with the help, of course, with, with a much broader team. But... It was the, the largest launch in, in Trijicon's history in terms of the, the number of SKUs as well as, you know, breadth and depth. And the way we positioned each one of these lines was, you know, based on consumer in use, how they were going to use it, and, and we positioned the scopes appropriately within those families. So, you know, you started off with the, the Huron and, and the Ascent families. This first for Trijicon is, you know, Trijicon always has been known for illuminated scope. Yes, you're right. Back to, to the ACOG, you know, it was with fiber optic, which requires ambient light to be able to illuminate. But then one of the 
unique and novel things that they did that really set it apart even further was added a small vial of tritium, which tritium, you need complete darkness and your eye adjusted in the darkness to be able to see it glow, but it will illuminate that fiber optic in complete darkness. Um, so, you know, that, that was something that Trijicon was known for. But then when we launched it in 2020, we launched with the Huron and the Ascent families, a first for Trijicon in that, you know, that there was no illumination and that allowed us, you know, to, to be able to get price down. Now it's yeah, still sure. not a cheap scope, but there's a lot of value for the dollar for what you get because it's all the same Trijicon quality, you know, in, in terms of the optical systems, the adjusters, all the same glass, that there was no scrimping even on the coatings or anything. It just has no illumination. So yeah, that, sure. that allowed us to pull cost out, you know, and, and keep, you know, retail prices realistically, you know, right there around the $500 mark. But, you know, going back to the positioning and the segmentation, how we did this was, you know, the Huron was really targeting the North American deer hunter. Well, there were deer hunters out there that were using AccuPoints and then previously, you know, some of the AccuPowers. We really didn't have a lot of scopes where we could go out and just target a specific end-user segment. And that's what we do with, with the, the Huron family. Right. Now, the, the near neighbor to that is the Ascent family. And, you know, since this is a hunting show that we're on here today, we won't spend a lot of time on that. But Ascent is really for your range enthusiasts. While you could hunt with them, that's what the Ascent does, very similar to Huron being your your, your hunting in use. Right. From there, you know, you step up into your Credos and Credo HXs, which your, your Credo family is where you get into LED illumination. So if folks out there knew previously what was AccuPower as an LED illuminated scopes, all of your AccuPowers were replaced by Credos and 10 miles. And we'll get to the 10 miles in a second. But, you know, your Credo, Credo HXs, these are, are your largest family. There's over 53 SKUs in, in that, um, ranging in power from a 1 to 4 by 24 up to a 4 to 16 by 50. So you, you, you have a lot of... A lot of magnification ranges in there to suit any. Yes, sir, you do. You know, whether that's, you know, dangerous game or, you know, you're hunting in the woods where a lot of magnification isn't needed, up to magnifications, you know, where you may be shooting at distance. Um, one of my personal favorites happens to be in that Credo HX line. It's a two and a half to 15 by 42. I just, to me, that is in the type of hunting that I do is a, very versatile scope you know on the low end i can hunt in the woods with it on two and a half power with tremendous field of view there you know where my shots might be many times inside of 50 even inside of 30 yards right yes sir but you know i've got the capability of turning up to 15 power when my shots may be longer you know now my personal limitation on shot distance i like to get close to animals i just i like that experience to me that's a big part of hunting but amen you know, i'm very comfortable taking a shot out to 300 yards and with 15 power i i have plenty of magnification to be able to do that yes sir um but, you know you heard me refer to both credo and credo hx right hx was a suffix that, that, that we hung on there to designate you know more of a 
hunting line, if you will. And the, the main difference being, you know, your HX for hunting is a satin finish with a, a more refined knurling, you know, on the adjusters, on your magnification ring, something that might look more at home sitting on top of a blue walnut stocked, you know, traditional gun. I like or, how you, you think. Um, whereas your, your standalone credo line is, you know, your matte finish, more aggressive knurling, something that would look more at home, you know, on top of a modern chassis type gun yes, or, or something that doesn't have the, uh, refined lines of blued walnut guns. So from there, you step up into your 10 mile family, which the, the 10 mile is our, our name you know, that, that we put in the brand 10 mile, 10 mile HX on our long range magnification, our long range scope. So higher end magnifications, but we start at a, you know, three to 18 by 44 and go up to a five to 50 by 56. Um, so really, like I said, set up for more for long range shooting right? and long range hunting. Um, you know, and you have both a mix and this is true even in the, the, the credo lines, um, but a mix of first and second focal plane options. Most of your HX variants tend to be MOA based, though there mm-hmm. are a few in there that are MRAD based. And then when you step over into standard Credo and standard 10 mile, you know, those are those, those are, are typically more MRAD based, though again, there's yes, a sir. few minor exceptions there. Um, and incidentally, I mean, t- funny story with that one, when you know, it, I don't know how many engineers you've worked with over the years, Larry, but engineers tend to be very literal people. Yes, sir, they are. <laughs> and, and, you know, when our engineers heard we, we were going to call the long-range line, you know, the 10-mile family, well, you're not going to be able to shoot these 10 miles. <laughs> no, it's, guys, it's not a promise of how far you shoot. It's, <laughs> it's, and actually, it's, it's the, the name of a mountain range in Colorado. <laughs> yes, sir, it is. Where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways yeah i mean that's you know that that's the, the 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 whole lineup and then we added you know some more magnifications in the the acupoint line as well which are right. medium and fiber optic powered where we added a, a 3 to 18 by 50 a 4 to 24 by 50 and, and we completely overhauled the four to 16 by 50 that had been there before, as well as the five to 25 um, with, with new adjusters and, and all of the, these higher magnifications. So everything in the 10 mile family, the new points that I just mentioned, they all have on the higher magnification scopes, a, a return to zero adjuster yes. for elevation. Yes. Um, so you, you can dial for elevation. We also did new, radicals in these that, that make you know doing holdovers with those right um, a, a much easier radical to be able to do that if you practiced with them 
I've had the opportunity to shoot, I think, every one of the lines in at the FTW ranch at a time or two where we're shooting long range and also close close range as well, too. I have to tell you, I dearly love the Huron. Uh, I know it's uh, maybe a lesser price scope, but it's also a lesser weight scope, and I've got a couple of lightweight rifles that are more mountain rifle types than anything else, and those Herons with the lighter weight and the quality that Trijicon puts into them are absolutely fantastic for a mountain rifle it, it, it absolutely is and you know like i said and i can't emphasize it enough you know they are the same quality scope oh yes sir. as what you get in an acupoint just be featured a little bit and and larry you know while i certainly have options to, to hunt with all of our scopes i mean two of my rifles have hurons on them and you know Try to think one or two of the deer, one for sure that, that I shot last year, you know, was with the Huron scope. Just absolutely love them, you know, and, and all of the magnification, you know, that there's a, a one to four by 24. Yes, so, sir. You know, something suitable for a lever gun, but you right, can put right. on the dangerous game rifle. Exactly. Um, then there's, you know, a, a three to nine by 40, a two and a half to 10 by 40, and a three to 12 by 40. But all of them have, you know, a reticle that the R&D engineer and I worked on that we named the, the Hunter Holds reticle. Yes. And, you know, we, we proved this out. You mentioned FTW. We, we proved this out at, at FTW in Ruger rifles, Ruger M77s, chambered in, in, in different cartridges. Right. But out to 500 yards, we were able to hit nine-inch plates you know, using a 200-yard zero, which also equates roughly to a 50-yard zero. Exactly. You know, yes, pulled, sir. Right. Yep. Crossing the line of sight twice there. But then your first hold down is 300, second one down is 400, and third one down is 500. And, and hitting that, you know, hitting that nine-inch plate with using those holds on each of those rifles was very doable. Absolutely. Um, and, and I even saw one gentleman... He happened to be shooting a, a 308. He took his out out to 700 yards using that just the holds on the reticle. I've, I've got a hunt coming up this year that I am really anxious to do. It's the uh, Landers one shot. Uh, antelope hunt after years of being in the industry i finally got invited this year and, if, and i'm going to be shooting a remington uh a model 700 mountain rifle in a 280 but it has got a heron scope on it and i've played around with it quite a bit and you're right that those hunter holdovers are hunter zeros and are point blank range i guess when you wanted to get right down yeah. to it as well too uh they work unbelievably well I, I feel very comfortable at taking shots you know out to 400 yards after that i get a little bit shaky kind of thing but still enough to where i could put a shot within a kill zone of an antelope at, at, at even out to 500 yards so uh, that's what that's good what's gonna gonna be on my rifle when i hit that way let's let's talk a little bit about the the acupoint i have to tell you of over the years as an outdoor writer and having been involved in a lot of different things, working somewhat with a lot of different optic companies here and there just a little bit, particularly in in, uh, in field testing them, there's no other scope out there as far as I'm concerned when it comes to whether you you put it on a, a 375H and H or a 375 Ruger, which I have a couple of those on, and I feel very comfortable with that scope, using it as a dangerous game scope, but also using it where I can shoot out to 300 yards. 
And I truly appreciate that little point of light, particularly when hunting in, in uh, kind of less than ideal light conditions or when you're hunting like Cape Buffalo. Uh, man, that thing works out of this world well. It, it, it certainly does. And, you know, like I said, it was something that was really unique to Trigicon, and, and it was that, you know, fiber optic that, that we are able to pack in there. And, you know, fiber optic requires some amount of ambient light to be able to illuminate. Yes. But if you have that ambient light that's illuminating that, that fiber optic coil, it just gives you an absolute brilliant aiming point that draws your eye and you cannot help but focus on the target. And I came to recognize that well before I worked for Trigicon. It, it was, I, I think, actually the, the first time that it really struck me. Because I'd heard about it, right. I'd read about it, and, and, and frankly, I thought it was a bunch of hooey, okay? But the, the, the first time it really struck me, I was with some friends on a deer hunt in, in northeast Louisiana, we were hunting on the, the edge of swamps. I was in a, a box blind. And there was a, a fair amount of light flooding into the box blind, but I had a really good deer standing way back in the shadows in about knee-deep of water and, you know, could see him clearly with binoculars, couldn't see him really well with the naked eye, but could see him well enough at about 150 yards to know that he was a really good deer. And when I brought that AccuPoint, and it was in, in a three to nine by forty, right, on a seven millimeter rim mag, um, one of the model seven hundred customs, um, man, th- that green dot just absolutely glowing drew my eye right to it. Was able to put it right on the deer's shoulder, took a high shoulder shot, and, and dropped him right where he was standing, and that's when it really struck me the value of that fiber optic illumination. Um, I can tell you about somewhat a similar story about a, a Boone and Crockett non-typical whitetail that I shot that you know, heavily, heavily overcast day and, and still legal shooting light by about five or six minutes when he stepped out and he walked out and I had about three or four minutes left when he did finally slow down a little bit. I was able to track that animal and put that animal down and it was I, I'm convinced that I had conventional crosshairs and, and often have shot those, you know, including on in the Huron. But had it not been for that little green speck of light right there, I don't know that I could have put that crosshairs properly on that deer's kill zone, which I was able to do. So uh, right. I, can, I can thank Trigicon AccuPoint for Boone and Crockett Whitetail as well, too. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Since we're drifting. <laughs> Since we're drifting to hunting a little bit, we've got a little time left here. I want to hear about your bear hunt. I, I love hunting. I've hunted brown bear. Oh, a couple of times shot one with a handgun years ago with a 454 Sioux, uh Freedom Arms. And then a wow. few years later with a 375 Ruger that was an absolute monster bear. But oh, tell me a little bit about that bear hunt that you were on. I know that's something you'd been wanting to do for a long time. Yeah, it, it was it was a draw hunt for Unimac Island, oh, Alaska. So people, you know, familiar with Alaska, you come down the, the Alaskan Peninsula, and on the very tip of the Alaskan Peninsula is the town of Cold Bay. Yes, and then you start the Aleutian chain of islands, and, and Unimac is the, the the first island 
in, in the Aleutian chain and subsequently the largest island, you know, in the Aleutian chain and the only one to have brown bears on it. it it's a national maritime wildlife refuge. And, you know, the biologists set annually the number of bears they want taken off of the island. And then those numbers are cut in half and they do a spring hunt and a fall hunt. Right. So I, I was very fortunate to have drawn that tag. And depending on the year, draw odds can be anywhere from, you know, I've read five to as high as 12%. Not very high, in other words. <laughs> Not very high. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, to speak to that, on the flight from Anchorage down to Cold Bay, I happened to be sitting next to a um, a resident of Cold Bay and you know, he obviously knew I was not a resident, and there's not many people that go to Cold Bay just for the heck of it. And um, so, he, you know, he asked me <laughs> what I was doing going down there, and told him that I, I'd drawn a, a Unimac tag, and he first congratulated me, and then he got around to asking me, well, how many years did you apply? And I told him, I said, well, believe it or not, that was my first one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and he commenced to uh, jokingly cursing me. I, I think he, I would have done the same. Yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, you know, as a resident, I've applied for 31 years. and haven't. Oh, my gracious. So, yeah. So anyways, just very fortunate just to have gotten the tag. But on that tag, you do have to contract with, with one of two outfitters yes, sir. before you can even apply. And I contracted with, with Rod Shue of R&R. Yes, sir. Um, and Rod does a fantastic job of, of running those hunts. Um, so anyways, yeah, flew down to Cold Bay. The day we got there, it was bright and sunny with no wind. It was actually two days before the season started. But Rod said, you know, with weather this good, we need to go ahead and get you over to the island to get you dropped off because there's no telling what the weather's going to be doing two days from now. Might be four or five days before I can get you over there. Absolutely. Travel is always weather permitting. Yeah, exactly. So I got, you know, packed up and ready to go, got all my hunting gear pulled together, and we loaded up into his, you know, wheeled beaver and took off over there. He landed, you know, on the north side of the island, on the, the, the beach of the Bering Sea, which was very cool. And my, my guide, Brian Donge from Maine, who's also a registered Maine guide and does a lot of, of guiding and outfitting in Maine himself. Yes, sir. Brian was already over there, had camp set up, you know, complete with a, a bear fence around it, just over the <laughs> sand dunes of the beach. And, um, one of the things that Rod pointed out to me as we were circling around for approach to land, he pointed out to me that approximately two miles down the beach from where he'd put me was a, a whale carcass that had washed up. And he said that whale carcass will have bears on it 24 hours a day. So, uh, Whoa. anyways, we got settled into unpack real quick, settled into camp and checked zero on my Kimber Talkeetna and 375 H&H. &H, yes, sir. Shooting 300 grain A-frames. And at that time, I was shooting a pre-production Credo HX and a 1 to 6 by 24 with, with a green illumination in it. Right. And um, checked it at 50 yards, still shooting the, the point of impact, 
same place it was when I had left Michigan, you know, two days prior. So that was all perfect and good. Um, so we spent the next two days watching that whale carcass, you know, through binoculars and spotting scopes at distance. Yeah, sure. One thing I learned about those bears, even though that island is a national maritime wildlife refuge, they are exp- exposed to very few people. You know, only hunted twice a year, and it is a big island. Those bears want absolutely nothing to do with you. You know, everybody thinks that, you know, brown bears are always going to be aggressive. That was not the case with these bears. Understood. I I saw on more than one occasion where a, you know, eight-and-a-half to nine-foot bear would cross our scent trail you know, in an area where we hadn't been in five or six hours. And, you know, in the interim, it had rained, it had snowed, and they'd hit our scent trail, put their nose right on the ground, sniff us out, figure out which way we walked, and they'd turn around and and walk back in the direction, and sometimes run back in the direction they'd come from. Yes, sir, I've seen them do it. I was absolutely amazed at that. Um, But anyways, we, we... Watch this whale carcass daily for the, the first two days. And actually, on the, the, the second morning, we, we saw a big bear leaving in the morning. So the carcass would have bears on it all day long, but your big bears would only feed at night. Yes, sir. And um, so we, we, we had this, the, the beach, then the sand dunes, and then there was about a two-and-a-half, three-mile wide, wide flat, tundra flat with, with – Nothing growing on it, no willows, no alders, just rolling terrain that dropped in over into this creek. And that creek was alder and willow choke. Uh-oh. And they would go over there and bed. The big bears would go over there and bed during the day. Yes, sir. And so anyways, the, the, the bear that we targeted as the biggest bear and did eventually end up shooting six or seven days later he was coming off of there in the morning and would walk across that tundra flat and get over into that bottom and and bed down and sleep for the day and then he would not go back until sometime after dark which dark was right around midnight Mm -hmm. we'd see some other good bears going to to the whale but you know they were good respectable bears nine nine and a half footers absolutely good bear Uh, but, but the guide felt like, you know, this morning bear that's coming off there, he's a 10-footer. Oh, Lordy. And uh, he said he'll be an honest 10-footer. And, and, but the guide was right. He ended up squearing 10-foot three. Um, Fantastic. So a really, really solid bear. But, yeah, the morning we finally got him, we, we had decided, hey, the, the only way we're going to get him, we can't get close to the whale because we'll, we'll blow too many bears off of it and spook them. And, right, right. And, and it may just not be safe. I mean, there, there were, <laughs> too many bears? You'd see eight or nine bears on it at once. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But um, so anyways, we decided, hey, tomorrow morning we're getting up at 2.30 a.m. We're leaving camp by 3, and we're going to get ourselves positioned over there where he's dropping off into that bottle. Yes, sir. And um, – for whatever reason, that particular morning, it was usually up 7, 30, 8, sometimes even late as 9 o'clock he'd come, before he'd come off. Well, that morning, he'd come off at about 
and was coming across that flat. So we had just barely got to oh where we goodness. wanted to be in time to, to wait for him. And uh, we, we, you know, trying to predict where he was going to drop in from about three miles away. <laughs> Guy did a really good job oh of getting goodness. us close to that spot. Um, would have loved to have been a little bit closer just for the experience, but it ended up, my, my shot ended up being right at 180 yards, which, you know, I practiced out to 200 with that 375 H&H, which is my local range here. Yes, sir. But that's the, the furthest I can shoot. Otherwise, I would have stretched it out a little further. But I, I was comfortable at at that out to 200-yard mark for sure. So um, first shot broke his shoulder, and then I've got a philosophy on any animal. If it's still standing, you keep shooting, <laughs> particularly on one that could kill you. Amen. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that gun has a three round magazine capacity with one in the chamber and I emptied the magazine on <laughs> I, I would have been doing the same thing and I have done the same thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was uh, just a, a, a wonderful experience I, I mean I, I've been to Alaska four other times prior to that one, one time fishing yeah, actually, the first two times I went to Alaska were both on my own with my dad and some uncles. How fantastic. First time was fishing. Second time, we did, we did a unguided moose drop camp. And then I'd also done a uh, unguided black bear hunt um, that was successful on an interior grizzly bear hunt that, that got a, a very average, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um interior grizzly bear on that hunt and then this brown bear hunt on Unimac. It was fantastic. Oh, I, I, I love Alaska. I've been very fortunate. I've hunted uh, brown bear up there and took, as I mentioned, one with a handgun and one with a rifle. And then I've been on three grizzly hunts up there that uh, I was very fortunate to take. It talking about inland grizzly, and, and I was able to take one on each one of the hunts. Interestingly, they all happened within the last 10 to 15 minutes of the end of the hunt ending so i learned to be patient and to continue to have faith and and uh you know in the guide in the area but uh alaska is so very special before we close this out i know you've got a bunch of uh white tail you hunting white tails this year maybe i ought to ask that to start with well you know i i, I will certainly hunt white tails this year i mean right now i don't have anything on the books or anything planned but you know i, I can tell you here in michigan archery season always starts on october 1st and um, hopefully that this buck that I patterned towards the end of the season last year is still going to be using this same little bottle <laughs> where I've got an oak tree picked out that's going to go get a hang on. <laughs> He's still using that same pattern. Absolutely. Within 25 yards of it. So, um, but yes, we'll hunt here in Michigan. My family's are, are all from Ohio. Yes, sir. And, um, I'm fortunate to still have my mom and dad both still alive, and at 78, still have my dad hunting. So, oh, how fantastic! We, we will always hunt. You know that the Ohio gun season, which is the always the starts the Monday after Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. And uh, I'll be down there with my straight walled 4570, which is now legal. You know, Ohio used to be all shotgun slug, right, or muzzleloader only, and now. 4570 and some other straight wall cartridges are legal there, but I, I hunt with 4570 when I'm down there. And oh, if you're on boy. scope. 
So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so at minimum, yes, there will be Michigan and Ohio hunts take place. And, you know, I'll, with, with friends all over the country, um, but, you know, mostly North Carolina, Louisiana, and Texas, I'm sure I'll end up in some other places during the season as well. I got a feeling that's probably going to happen, by golly. <laughs> John, how if, if somebody wants to learn more other than going to a dealer and having a look at the scopes, how do how can they learn more about Trigicon Optics, particularly the ones that you're involved in? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I mean, Obviously, going to your dealer is a, a fantastic place to start to get hands-on experience. If you've got folks that are close to any of the major, you know, trade shows that take place in, in the wintertime, you know, Dallas Safari Club, if, if they are in close proximity to Dallas, I would highly encourage folks to, to come by that show, stop by the Trigicon booth. We're going to be there. We'll have a full display of optics, you know, put up and folks there that they can talk to and, and walk them through all their needs. But then, of course, you know, we, we have a very robust website and get as much information out there as we can. Um, so, you know, would certainly encourage people, if they can't get out and get firsthand experience with them, to, to check out our website. Absolutely fantastic. John, I would love to have you come back here in about a month or so. And I want to talk some more about whitetail deer. I, I, of course, they're a passion of mine. And as, as I mentioned earlier, the big bear hunting, but uh, whitetail deer season is not that terribly far away. And I know folks are going to be thinking about possibly a new rifle and a new scope. And, you know, maybe we can talk about that a little bit more about what uh, which particular models would work best as far as hunting whitetail, as we've kind of touched on in thick brush. And, but also, so in some of the more wide open countries, such as we have in different parts of Texas and, and the Midwest, and are speaking of uh, Nebraska and Kansas more than the Midwest, I guess. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to have you come back a little bit later on. You know, anytime I can talk hunting, I absolutely <laughs> embrace it and love it. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to talk whitetails at the depth you are with your biological background and all the work you've done. You know, with, with conservation and whitetails over the years, but uh, absolutely love talking whitetails. One well, of my passions. Let's plan on doing that. And thank you so very much for joining me this morning and uh, or this today rather. And uh, look forward to really spending a little time with you around not just a virtual campfire, but a real campfire this fall. Yes, sir. I would welcome that. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 